And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome into the Shamrock, brought to you by DirecTV Stream. Get your TV together with the best of live and on-demand. Learn more at directtv.com. I'm your co-host, Matt Fortuna. We'll be joined shortly by my co-host, Pete Sampson. It's an exciting time around Notre Dame football. The season is just days away, and we have a great guest here to speak about it. Brady Quinn, as Pete alluded to in this interview, former winningest quarterback in Notre Dame football history. He, of course, was eclipsed by Ian Book last season. Pete had a wonderful discussion with Brady Quinn. We will get right to that and join you on the other end. Please enjoy Brady Quinn. Pleased to be joined as a special guest on the Shamrock, former Notre Dame quarterback. I think the last time, Brady, you were on, uh, you may have been the all-time winningest quarterback that's uh, since changed, uh, and now Fox analysts. Uh, to talk a little bit about Notre Dame, um, it's season ahead. You know, Jack Cohn, who you for, you're familiar with working at Fox, have, have sort of been around him um, on the big noon Saturday calls and, you know, how Tommy Reese evolves. And I think I... I kind of wanted to start there with, with Reese. Cause I mean, you know, him, he played the position like you at Notre Dame. Um, and I think talking to Tommy over the summer, he's very eager to sort of show himself as an offensive coordinator in a different way. And I, I was interested in your take on that, like where you feel like Notre Dame's offense can go and, and where Tommy can take it with a little bit different personnel. I think there's a number of things that you'll see demonstrated uh, from Tommy. I mean, look, Tommy's smart. He's one of the best play callers there is in college football. And I think one of the things that he realizes is he's got to play to the strengths of who he has a quarterback and then the talent that he has on that team. So, you know, one of the differences that I think you're going to see in Jack Cohn versus what we had in the book was, you know, Jack had to live in a world with Wisconsin at Wisconsin where he had to throw with anticipation and throw guys open. I think he was more apt to pull the trigger, uh, letting balls go, and in particular downfield because of their kind of style and, and play. You know, whereas you know, Ian may have been more hesitant at times or you know, maybe at times didn't feel as confident in, in doing some of that. Um, and, and you kind of saw you know, a lack of some of that at times last year. You know, that's something that I don't think Jack Jones is going to have any hesitation about. I think he's got a very strong understanding of what Tommy Reese is going to ask him to do. He's not as elusive as Ian was. So if things break down, you know, I don't think you're going to see the same type of, you know, plays that you saw from Ian, but he's very capable as a runner. So I think all those things are still out there. And I think, you know, one of the reasons why Tommy's probably excited is you're going to get a group of wide receivers who have speed and have the ability to separate. And I think Tommy's excited about, you know, testing that, throwing downfield more, opening some things up the passing game more. And I think Jack Cohn's going to be excited about it because this is the best group of receivers he's probably ever played with. Right. Um, you know, they traditionally have good tight ends there at, at Wisconsin. But as far as receivers go, this isn't a knock on their personnel. But those guys can't move the same way these guys can. You know, those yeah. guys are, aren't going to be going up, being drafted the same way we've had with, the, you know, Chase Claypools and, and Miles Boykin. And, and then even, you know, this year we'll see who ends up coming out of the group. But, um, you know, that's, that's one of the biggest differences that I think that you're going to see this year with the offense. And, 
kind of that that explosion not only in taking shots downfield but opening opening some more things up in the passing game I was interested in your your feelings on Cone watching him as an analyst uh, and as a former quarterback because Tommy mentioned over the summer like he obviously has a ton of respect for Ian Book I mean who wouldn't but like he was a real grinder to install offense with and he sort of it said that it comes a little bit more naturally for Cone like in terms of like taking things in and then translating out to the field like I don't know if you could see that watching tape of Cone um, or maybe in your conversation with Tommy, but like what what's your sort of read on Cone as a, as a quarterback who can handle a lot of offense and, and have a lot of responsibility? I think it was what he was asked to do up in Wisconsin. Yeah. You know, Paul Chris does a tremendous job, you know, with that group. And I think he brought a lot of his prior knowledge running a different system to Notre Dame. And they are so detailed and so dialed in with how they go about the run checks, how they'll go about setting things up, you know, for just the running game in, in itself, that that's not even getting the passing game and protections and everything else that goes along with that. So I think he brought a lot of that experience and expertise, if you will, to Notre Dame. And so a lot of his questions are probably a lot more detailed in nature, you know, whereas, you know, Ian is, is was coming from a point where it, it was the only thing he knew. You know, when you experience different types of systems and you see things done different ways or talked about different ways, you can talk a lot about the techniques. You can talk a lot about, you know, what you're trying to accomplish on this play and how you're going about doing it. So you can be much more dialed in and very detailed in your approach because not only one is it new and different for Jack Cohn, but there's also some other things that he might be able to bring to the table to work with Tommy Reese on or say, hey, I feel more comfortable doing it this way. Uh, you know, which is different than what you're saying. And, and a lot of times there's that give and take, but mm-hmm. that's what you get when you bring somebody who's got a prior experience where they started and played at, at, a, at obviously a different uh, different team, different destination. Right. When you sort of look at this roster and where Notre Dame's program is right now, like what what interests you most about this team? And like maybe what concerns you most about this team? What's the sort of biggest question you feel like Notre Dame may need to answer on Sunday night at Florida State? I think the biggest thing is going to be their defensive front. You know, I mean, obviously we're expecting a big step from Isaiah Foskey. Um, you know, Kurt Pinish up front has been an anchor for a while, but you lost a lot of leadership up there, right? Ogundeji and Dalen Hayes and, you know, guys like that who, who have moved on, you know, that, that I don't want to say hurts, but it's, it, it takes away from that. And you've got to have those guys step up. So that's the, the side of the ball that I'm, I'm somewhat concerned by because, They've got to hold up their end of the bargain and be able to try to force Florida State to be one-dimensional. I, I don't think they're very good in pass protection. They haven't been. They haven't you know, recruited offensive linemen particularly well or developed them for that matter. So you know, I think there's, there's some opportunities for them there, but they've got to play well in, or, or in early downs in particular up front. Um, the things I'm most excited about seeing is just you know, Jack Vine center, but also you know, what this offensive line looks like you know, especially with Cade Madden coming in and a true freshman, sorry, a left tackle. Like, it, it's exciting. I mean, Blake Fisher could be the next great one, and we've had a lot of great ones. Uh, and, and then also the, this, just the receivers, you know, Braden Lindsey and, and Lawrence Keyes and, um, I mean, all, all those guys who it's been – I think it's been a long time coming, right, right. for, like, seeing some of these guys really explode. Um, and so that's where I'm, – I'm just – I'm excited about seeing that group and what it looks like from the young guys, too, if they sign that – that may play an impact. I, I obviously know what Mayer is going to bring. I know what the rushing yeah. attack is going to bring, but, but it's, it's that explosiveness that 
you know, I, I think we've, you know, you've got a guy in Jack Cohn who's going to be very apt to take their shots and take those opportunities and, and not flinch or not hesitate. I don't know if there are any parallels to sort of your time here where you had like some upperclassmen receivers emerge, Samarja Stovall, McKnight, kind of all at the same time as you got older. Um, you know, also you had the same young Blake Fisher, same, Blake Fisher will be the first true freshman to start a season opener on the line since Sam did it in 2006. Like, um, I guess maybe just start with sort of looking back at, at Sam and, and starting as a true freshman at left tackle, or I don't, I can't remember if he was left. I think he was right tackle because Ryan was, was right. on the left, right? right? Um, yep. Just how difficult that was, how you, as a, as a quarterback, as an offense, try to try to help a guy out um, who's doing something for the first time at, in really a kind of a man's world down there. Yeah, no, it's, uh, and, and the tough thing is when you start on the road, you know, yeah. like the, you know, we, we experienced a year without, you know, really as many fans in the stands or not full stadiums. And then you go on the road and now things are open back up and you're going to, holy cow, this is <laughs> so different, right? Yeah. For whether they're high school guys uh, coming into college or even college guys kind of forgetting what it was like. So, you know, I remember Sam's first start. You know, we, we were on the road. We're in Atlanta. We're playing Georgia Tech. Johnson, who their defensive coordinator, who you know, ended up coming to Notre Dame for a time. He brought pressure every single play, it felt like, and he brought it to Sam's side because he wanted to test them. Yeah. And, and so I'm, I will not be surprised at all if Florida State doesn't have different blitz packages or different games and stunts to utilize up front to try to you know test Blake Fisher, test Kane Madden, see how that chemistry has developed with that group. Um, but really the offensive line in general. You know, I wouldn't be shocked if they weren't trying to do a, a lot of things up front to test that group and see where they're at. So, um, you know, thinking back to Sam's time, I mean, I, I think the one thing was the speed of just initially, especially some of the guys he was going up against on that front. Um, you know, there's, there's practice speed going up against your own guys. You kind of start to get familiar with them and their pass rush moves and so forth. And then you study film, but once the real thing comes, then it's like, Oh, this is a different deal. It's a different right. speed. And so I, I think he, it took him a while to kind of adjust. Um, you know, I can remember different you know, days, UCLA that year, uh, Bruce Davis, Alan Hickman, you yeah. know, those guys were just trying to have a field day, you know, with their, their speed around the edge. So you do all you can to chip, you know, with a tight end or, or running back. You'll try if there's an uncovered offensive lineman to his side to kind of slide things his way. Um, and so that way, you know, someone only has a one way go on him. So you'll do some things formationally. You'll do some things protection wise, maybe a little more seven man protections where, He's got a tight end outside of him, and he's got a little more help. So it's a little more difficult um, to, to for, for a rusher to be able to get by him. So th there's, there's things like that that you can try to do. But honestly, I always feel like one of the best things you can do to help them out is run the football. Because mm -hmm. if you allow them to be on the offensive, and that helps give them some confidence, they get a pancake, or they feel like they're winning that battle, that translates to me to the pass protection too. So that's going to be a huge key, I think, for Blake Fisher and really the entire offensive line, you know, coming into this year. And what about like sort of the, the past game with the receivers? You sort of grew up with Samarja and Stovall and Rama here. Like Jack's coming in one year, kind of a, a one and out. And these, but these receivers have been here. So I, I was interested, sort of like if their experience at Notre Dame, even if they haven't played a whole lot, but they have sort of been around it, if that like, you feel like that matters a lot for Kevin Austin, Braden Lindsay, Joe Wilkins. Like these are, these are high potential guys, but they haven't done it. Um, does, does that experience still kind of matter for them? Do you think? Um, I think, I think that there's a couple things that play, you know, Jack Cohn and coming from one place to another, 
you know, I think that's why he's probably been so detailed in a lot of the things that they've installed or what they're asking because he wants to make sure that when he's anticipating, he knows exactly where those guys are going to be. And so it's it, it's hard, especially when you have a quarterback competition because you haven't had that many reps to be able to develop that sort of chemistry. I mean, we mm-hmm. started to, to work in David Grimes when he was young, and I remember, you know, watching David and just how he kind of ran and moved because he was a lot shorter and, and quicker in and out of his cuts. Um, you know, I, I had to kind of figure out how to time him up for a lot of the options and different things that he was running. And obviously he was a shorter receiver, mm-hmm. which was drastically different than Samarja and Stovall and, and Rama. So you kind of had to get an idea of, all right, what is his catch radius? You know, does he have a burst at the end if I'm throwing to him downfield that he can go and really either accelerate or dive through the ball? So all those things like, you know, Jack's trying to feel out right now and, and he's trying to develop with. And, and you know, again, it, it's, it's helpful that those guys have been in the system so those guys can then help kind of coach him up or say, hey, like, this is what I'm seeing or this is what I'm, I'm thinking on this. So this is where I'm going to be. Or, or, hey, this is what the type of ball I like to have downfield. There's some guys who want to have, you know, a, a deep ball or a go ball thrown upfield every time where they can try to go run under it. There's other times you'll get guys who, you know, especially if they know that they're not going to outrun most DBs they're playing with, they'll say, hey, just put it up into the outside. And that way I can use my body or that way I can make it a jump ball. And so when, you know, you've got to, so it really comes down to just learning how the guys you're playing with feel most comfortable and confident. And, and then just trying to have that open line of communication, which I, I think Jack's been there long enough where hopefully he does. Uh, but that's, that's always one of the concerns you have too. I think anytime you have a quarterback competition is if it goes on too long, you don't really allow that one guy to have enough of an opportunity to be able to throw to guys and have a good feel for how they're going to run the routes. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Yeah, I thought it was kind of a, a shrewd sort of CEO decision for Brian Kelly. Like he shut down the quarterback competition almost immediately. I think probably for these reasons you're talking about, and like, you know how coaches in college tend to like want to drag things out and the air of uncertainty. And like, I think this was kind of one of those things where like, no, Notre Dame wanted to be like, all right, Jack's our guy. Everyone knows he's our guy. And then you can sort of get on and get that chemistry as much as you possibly can with, with those receivers. Um, I did want to like ask you a little bit big picture with with Brian Kelly. He's going to break Newt Rockney's all time wins record here. Uh, the program's as stable as it's been probably since um, peak Holtz uh, early nineties. I mean, you know, you know this place. You know the 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 good and the bad, the the positives and the challenges here. Like, what what do you think has been the biggest key for Brian Kelly? Like getting Notre Dame to a place where it's a, a, a stable winner year in and year out. 
Well, I, I think the be- the biggest thing that I can say just as, as like an alum and then seeing how they are now is, you know, he's just upheld, I think, all the things that former players or alums are really hoping for. And that's excellence, obviously, in the classroom, but obviously excellence on the field. And, and that comes from them being able to identify and go recruit the type of individuals that are, are you know, the best at both of those things out there. And, and I think that's was has been one of the things you've seen over the last four or five years is they've really recruited to specifically to what they feel like their identity is, whether that's the type of players they're trying to bring in, whether that's at a certain position group, uh, whatever the case may be, they've identified what their identity is and with what their niche is and then how to specialize and become the best at that in the country. And, and I think he's done an incredible job with that. Um, and, and it's showed. And so like, I know like the hard part for, I think a lot of Notre Dame fans out there, are, they're like, well, we haven't won a national championship since 88, but like we're, we're knocking on the door and there's a lot of teams that I can't even say they're close to it. Right. I mean, when I was playing USC, USC was the best right. team in the country for the entirety of my time there. And they probably uh, were one of the greatest of all time, especially or like from 2003 to 2005, you can make the case they're one of the greatest college football teams of all time. You know, USC's nowhere near that now. Yeah, They're a shell of themselves. You know, I mean, they really are when you look at what they were and where they're at now. And, and you talk to their alumni base about how they've fallen by the wayside. And, and it's, you know, it, it actually provides better perspective and it makes me appreciate more what Notre Dame has done, Brian Kelly, and honestly, too, Jack Swarbrick. I don't think Jack Swarbrick gets enough credit for the way he's led the university. And I mean that when I say that. Like, he has been a beacon of light for student-athletes, for the University of Notre Dame, but even college football in general. Like, he has had such a, a – he's had a hand on everything, and I think he's moved the game and the sport in the right direction every step of the way. And I think he deserves credit along with Coach Kelly with the way they've been able to guide Notre Dame through, for some schools, it feels like it's tumultuous, right? It feels like it's it's the you know perfect storm and you've got George Clooney out there trying to figure out how to keep the boat you know, afloat. But those two have done an unbelievable job about, you know, really navigating what what has been a you know, kind of murky, like gray area, kind of foggy area as far as where things are going. And they seem like they're always coming out on top. They're always the smartest ones in the room. So, um, you know, I, I, I just think it, it starts with people and it starts with Jack Swarbrick and Brian Kelly and their vision of what they've done. But when I say people, it goes all the way down from the coaching staff, the support staff, the university, but the kids, that, that the young men they're recruiting. Like that's been something that I think when you look at the recruiting class, when you look at their, what they're pumping out and just the quality of these young men, like that's a big piece of it too. Yeah, no, I totally agree with what you're saying. It just it seems like a program sort of knows itself, if that makes sense to you. Like right. they know who they there's are, so they know many who they who can don't, be. Though. Pete, there, there's so many who don't. You know, Wisconsin's like that. Where, where you know where Jack Cohen comes from. Like they know who they are. They know what they recruit. They know what they're good. They know where they can excel. Michigan's still, still trying to figure that out right now. You know, Michigan's in disarray because they don't they don't have an identity. They don't know who they are. You know, the, the schools that are dominating right now that are, that, are, that are some of the better, and Notre Dame's a part of that conversation, having been in the college football playoff now a couple of times, mm-hmm. but also been competing for national championships, they're a part of that. There's a lot that they can't tell you what they are. They can't, they, they can't tell you that. And, that. and that's the hardest pitch then. It's because they walk into a living room 
and they don't know what they're saying to the parent. They don't know what they're saying to the player. And, or, or if what they're saying to one player is going to change to the next person. Right. And that's the thing is I think it's consistent throughout uh, for Coach Kelly and, and for a lot of these players as far as their why and why they're coming to Notre Dame. All right, excellent. Well, Brady, hey, I appreciate the time you take uh, some moments here to join us on the Shamrock. You can catch Brady Quinn on the Fox Big Noon kickoff show all season. You're, I think, uh, up in Minneapolis right now as we record this for Ohio State, Minnesota. And then uh, hopefully I'll bump yep. into you in Chicago because uh, we have two programs that know themselves, uh, Notre Dame, Wisconsin, uh, at the end of September. It should be a great one. Yeah, we're actually headed to Wisconsin uh, Friday. So we'll be there for Penn State, Wisconsin as well, Saturday morning uh, for that noon kickoff. So it, we're, we're a little doubleheader this week for us to open up the college football season. So a lot of fun. Why not? We've all been uh, starving for it. So get as much as you get as much college football you as you can yeah. in week one, yeah. right? Excellent. Yep. All right, Brady Ken, thanks again for joining the show. Appreciate you. Um, and uh, thanks for being with us on the Shamrock. Thanks, Pete. That was former Notre Dame quarterback Brady Quinn, uh, now with Fox, who, uh, Matt, I believe that you are in the same locale as Brady right now, uh, or at least soon to be up in, in Minneapolis as we report. He's doing the Fox uh, pregame for Ohio State and then uh, Wisconsin Penn State over the weekend. Uh, but yeah, I, I wasn't able to sort of plant the seed of. Uh, him coming on a live podcast post-Wisconsin or pre-Wisconsin in Chicago at the end of the month. Hopefully we can make that happen. I, me and you might have busier schedules than him right now. I'm doing this from a residence <laughs> in, in Minneapolis. You're doing it from a really weird room where you look like a hostage right now with your mask on in the Dallas <laughs> yeah, airport. I'm, uh, I'm in the Dallas airport. Um, there's a monorail going by me every five minutes. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I'm uh, on my way very circuitously from South Bend to Dallas to Vanderbilt to embed with Vanderbilt for Clark Lee's first game and then flying down to Tallahassee from there. So uh, you and I both have pretty busy weekends. But I, I mean, as far as like Quinn goes, I, I I liked sort of his recollections of one kind of the Sam Young, Blake Fisher comparisons uh, from 2006 to now. Uh, but then also sort of like Notre Dame knowing thyself uh, and how adamant he was about, you know, Jack Swarbrick deserving quite a bit of credit for the stability Notre Dame has going into a season where, They've won 10 straight games, four straight years, or 10 games, four straight years. And then, um, you know, Nordham just feels like a very known quantity, even though, you know, this game, as we can talk about, there's a lot of questions for Notre Dame to answer um, on Sunday night in Tallahassee. Yeah, I think beacon of light was the phrase he used for Jack Swarbrick, which I'm not sure I've heard um, used as a descriptor <laughs> for the AD before, but um, pretty telling commentary from Brady Quinn. And, uh, you know, I, it's always validating, I think, when we hear someone of his stature and who's been there and done that kind of agree with yeah. us, if that makes sense. Uh, because I, I have the same, I have the same thoughts about the program, but I also have the same, not concerns, but kind of question marks as it pertains to Sunday night in Tallahassee, particularly when it comes uh, to that offensive line. I think it's going to be a very good line. I've said that multiple times on this podcast, but I don't know how quickly they can get there, and that's going to be a, a pretty heavy test for them. In that environment, especially you know after the the non-environments that that these guys played in last year, uh, the youth movement that that's coming up on that line, particularly Blake Fisher and, and, and Florida State Sunday night national TV. It's the only game you know in the country that day. Uh, yeah, I, I hate to say I forgot about this, but I had overlooked it as far as it relates to the emotions of the game. Florida State sent out an email yesterday with all these tributes they're doing for Bobby Bowden, who just passed away, the legendary coach. Like, there's going to be a lot of juice in that building Sunday night, and the type of juice that you simply can't replicate when you're practicing or last year when you're playing in front of half-empty stadiums. So um, 
how quickly are these guys ready? Because if they're not, uh, that's going to show itself very early on. And I think imminently that's the, the biggest question I have about this team. Yeah, I thought it was interesting to hear Quinn have some concerns about the defensive line. Because having watched camp, I, you know, is it an overwhelming strength? No, but I do feel like it's a pretty, it's a good part of the team. Like maybe, certainly at least in the middle of the group, could be one of the, the strongest position groups on the roster. So that that I thought was a little bit interesting. But I, I mean, I don't know. Sunday night, it's you know, it's to me, it's about the offensive line. How do how do they help out Blake Fisher if they need it? You know, is Josh Lug. Um, you know, ready to be an every game starter at right tackle. Is that a bit of a concern? Um, you know, talking to people in the goo, there's, I think there's probably more optimism with the offensive line than you would have came away thinking after the open practice a couple weeks ago. Um, so that that's a positive for Notre Dame. I have, I have very little concern about Jack Cohn answering the bell. I, I think that is, it's kind of one of those questions that, Notre Dame feels like it's, it's been answered before the season even starts. Um, so I don't know. It, there's, but there's a lot. There's a lot for Notre Dame to get sorted out. I, you know, talking to Brian Kelly during the week, he he referenced the Louisville game two years ago, which then I wanted to dive into a little bit more because I, I do think there's a lot of sort of parallels um, to that night where it was 14-14. I think maybe one of the the last road games we covered together, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> um, you know, it was 14-14 in the second in the first half. It was loud. It was rock because I think it was like one of the maybe the biggest Louisville um, crowds they had ever had. Um, and you know, Notre Dame had to take some time in game to settle itself. Um, if you're watching on TV, that can be a very stressful situation as it's happening. But um, I think that Sunday night could be one of those where Notre Dame needs to steady itself within the game. Um, before it pulls away late. The idea of Notre Dame sort of just jumping all over Florida State and just blowing the doors off them, that to me that's just not that's not in the cards for a, a team that is gonna have to grow into its first game. I agree completely. I think it's much more of a slow burn, death by a million paper cuts kind of test of endurance. Like I I don't think Notre Dame's gonna come out there and jump up to early lead. We we mentioned that Louisville game. I mean, yeah, like that was first game of a new coaching staff Monday night, similar to this one Sunday night. And they, they basically used the momentum of the crowd to do all their scoring on the first two drives of the game. I think it was 14, not there, 14-7, but they scored 17 that night. It quickly caught up to them. Uh, I'm not – the Jack Cohn piece to me is a little fascinating just because, like, I'm not at all, like, concerned. Like, he's an afterthought to me as far as, like, what I'm looking forward to seeing Sunday night. But I also – like, I do wonder, like, are we maybe overrating him or overhyping him? Like, the guy hasn't played college football in two years. Um, yeah. Like, he – essentially got beat out by a guy who's on Notre Dame's schedule this year in Graham Mertz at Wisconsin. Like, I think he's the perfect grad transfer. I think he's the perfect kind of one-year rental for this offense. But um, I, I do wonder how much of this will be him taking shots downfield and really helping to open up this offense, which I think they are capable of doing this year, versus easing his way back into the things, making the right plays, making the proper checkdowns, relying on those running backs and tight ends. Brady made an interesting comment, I thought, about how this is the best group of receivers he'll ever play with. It might be, but it's not there yet. I mean, that was not a bad Wisconsin team he played with. I mean, Quintez Cephas was an NFL draft pick. 
Jake Ferguson, who's still there, is one of the best tight ends of the country. A.J. Taylor and Danny Davis were both really good. Like, I don't know if there's anyone on Notre Dame who's done that. Maybe Avery Davis. And we all know what Kevin Austin can do. But, again, seeing is believing. So I, I, I think I want to see that happen before I, I, I put the cart before the horse and, and see this offense take off. Now, if all those guys step up, Braden Lindsey, Lawrence Keyes, if they are all healthy, if they're all getting downfield and playing at 100% speed, yeah, I, I think this offense could be really damn good this year. I really do. I, I said this last week and talking to people around the program this week. I, I've come out of this camp much, much higher on this offense um, th- than I did four weeks ago. And I wouldn't say I'm down on the defense by any means, but but I, I, I frankly have more question marks about the defense. I have the same question marks that Brady Quinn had, which is um, I think they're loaded in the middle on the defensive line. I don't know um, how deep and how durable they are. And I mean – we talk about ends. I mean, MTA really is not a defensive end. Like he, he's, they moved him there. Like I think he's much right. more natural inside. And I think, I know you want to get your best players on the field, regardless of position, but that to me is a little bit telling in its own right as well. So we'll see what kind of pass rush they can generate. I don't think it'll be a problem this week because Florida state's just been a mess on that offensive line pretty much ever since they won a national title <laughs> seven years ago. But um, long-term that's what I'm looking for as well. Well, what the, all right, you tell me, like, what's a good stat line for Cone on Sunday? Like, what if, if Cone goes X of X for XXX with X touchdowns and X picks? Like, what what would leave you feeling like, all right, this is this is, he's as good as what the coaches think? No turnovers. I mean, I know that's narrowing it down to something very specific, and crazy things happen that are out of the quarterback's control, but. Mistake-free, I think, is kind of like the the M.O. on him, so to speak. Wisconsin quarterback, plays the right way, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so uh, don't get overwhelmed by environment. Don't make dumb mistakes. Um, for me, it's a lot less about stats. And I think, you know, we've had this conversation about Ian Book last year. Um, it's a lot, lot, lot less about stats, a lot more about limiting mistakes. And in the case of Jack Cones, is he a neutral or is he like a game-changing positive if these guys are healthy and if this offense is truly as talented as we believe it to be. I mean, are they taking shots downfield? Is he connecting on those shots downfield? Is he throwing the ball away when it's not there? Um, those are the things I look for much more than statistics because, again, I don't know if anyone knows a single statistic about Ian Book aside from being the winningest quarterback in Notre Dame history, which ultimately is the only thing that matters. I, I think I want to see a little bit more than that from Cone. Like I, I would like to see you know, how many shots – in excess of 20 yards i wouldn't even mind him throwing a pick uh if it's an if if it's an aggressive play at the right spot like um but you know if if it's all dump downs and check downs which is sort of like what the wisconsin offense was then then i'm you know i'm not sure how notre dame pushes the offense forward and, and evolves a little bit so i i'd like to see at least like a hint of that um on sunday night it doesn't he doesn't need to throw for 350 yards. It'd be good if he didn't, but, you know, kind of in the, you know, 21 of 29 for 250, a couple touchdowns at a pick, like, I think I'd be fine. Like, he doesn't need to be this overwhelming game changer because I don't think anyone expects him here to be, but, like, I would like to see him take advantage of Notre Dame's skill, position, talent, which, I mean, they just didn't have last year. Ian Book was not working with, Kevin Austin or like Michael Mayer, who is like a dude uh, from the beginning of the season, Kyron Williams and Chris Tyree, both dudes now in a way that they weren't when last season started. So I would, I guess I would just like to see something a little bit 
different there. And then you know, I, I'm fascinated to see what Notre Dame has or doesn't have at corner because that, that was was almost like it was hidden during camp when we were out there for practices. You just you didn't see the corners make a lot of plays. You didn't see them get like roasted either. Um, it was almost like when the defense made a play, it was because the front seven got there so quickly and Jack Cohn or Drew Pine couldn't do anything. Um, that's not going to be the case all Sunday night. You mentioned Notre Dame's pass rush is a little bit suspect. I agree with you there. Florida State's offensive line is probably even more suspect than that. Um, so we shall see. But I, I would like to see a corner or two make a play on the ball, uh, whether it be a pick or PBU, just some something aggressive happening because that's we just didn't really when we were at practice in August. We just did not not see much of that at all. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Yeah, that that's definitely the biggest question mark coming into the season in, in the sense I got, at least going into camp, was like, well, it wasn't all that great last year either. I don't think we're going to be much worse. You should probably stop worrying about that and start worrying about other things. But, <laughs> I mean, yeah, the one practice I was at, the one full practice, I mean – yeah, it was not a weakness. It was not a strength. It was kind of just there. Is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? I, I don't know. I'm not sure, frankly, if we'll get an answer this week. I know Mike Norvell likes to open things up and, and spread the ball, but I, I just don't know if Florida State is really there yet personnel-wise to truly make Notre Dame pay in the back end um, the way that some other teams on the schedule might later in the season. Um, I mean, a bigger picture with Notre Dame, like, and we have seen this – throughout Brian Kelly's tenure, like the first game is actually very predictive of how the rest of the season is going to go. Um, do you feel like this might be an exception to that? Just because like, this feels like a Notre Dame, Notre Dame team that's really going to make its biggest jumps in September and October opposed to July and August. Like what we see on Sunday night might not actually be reflective of who Notre Dame is at the end of the season. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, I think with some of the, Better Notre Dame teams and bigger Notre Dame seasons, a lot of it has geared toward a big mid-season or late-season matchup. Last year, obviously, is the most recent obvious obvious example of that. 
Whereas I like this team just can't ease its way in because games four and five might be the two toughest on the schedules with Wisconsin and uh, and Cincinnati a week later. And like if you get through that stretch, and I'm not ready to say either way with any sense of definition, like what's going to happen on September 25th in Chicago, but like if Notre Dame gets through. Wisconsin and it's 4-0 and that game would also make Brian Kelly the winningest coach in Notre Dame history ironically enough like boy the conversation about this team really really changes and I don't know I'm trying to think of like an early season victory they've had where that like it was like wow all right this team's a lot better than we thought 2012 obviously comes to mind with Michigan State and Michigan back-to-back but I think the jury was the jury was still out of those guys because they still had Stanford, Oklahoma, mm-hmm. what we thought would be a good USC team that year. 20, Whereas, I mean, 2015 was, I think, Clemson. Bizarre. Uh, no, I'm th- I was thinking an opener, like where they opened against Texas and actually oh, right, right. just demolished uh, the Longhorns. That was, that was one they was like, whoa, this team is – and in some ways that was predictive, right? Like they had an incredible amount of offensive skilled talent. You know, obviously it all changed next week with Luke Zaire, the broken ankle, and Deshaun Kaiser, and then took off from there. But um, that, you know, to me, it's this is probably the team that I feel like has the most room for in-season growth as maybe any I've covered um, from Brian Kelly. And I say that in a sense, like, I've we've, we've covered Notre Dame teams, right, where, like, you knew they had questions to answer, but you knew they were really going to struggle to actually answer them. This, this team, I feel like, has a lot of questions, but, like, the material to figure it out as they go, um, opposed to, like, a team that is, like, mediocre at the beginning and stays that way. I feel like this is this is kind of one of those teams that should get a lot better as the season goes on. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, 2019 stands out as far as, like, we made the, the week one analogy, but they had that big Georgia game, and I think it was week three, and I think everyone in the world thought they were going to get killed going into that game. At least Vegas did, and they, they almost won it. But everything like they, they they proved a lot, I think, even in defeat that game because I think that was a team that we weren't expecting to be quite as good as it was going into it, whereas this year, you know, <clears throat> there are tough games on the back end of the schedule. I don't want to be dismissive of North Carolina or some other teams that may be playing. I just think – like their toughest test, as we know it right now, will be in week four. And if they get through that, we are talking about this team in an entirely different um, way than we are right now. And the, the country will, will take note in an entirely different way as well. I mean, if you're a preseason top 10 team and you beat a fellow preseason top 15 team, I think is Wisconsin, is, and Cincinnati for that matter, back to back. I mean, you, I don't want to say you can punch your own ticket to the playoff at that point, but like at that point, it'd almost be a disappointment if they didn't make it. Um, if they didn't run the table, as difficult as that schedule may be. And I, I just think, to your point, where they, they have to get better, to, they, they have the most room for in-season growth as any recent team we can remember. It's a question of how quickly can they grow up because if they get their butts handed to them, which I don't think they will, I could see them losing a couple games. Like I have a hard time seeing them getting blown out. Um, you know, How do they recover from that? And, and is that – something that knocks the season off the rails or is it a blip on the radar toward a 10 and two or 11 and one season? Yeah. It's, I mean, the flow of it, I mean, we, I think we both predicted 10 and two on our last podcast, but like if the flow of the 10 and two includes a loss to Wisconsin and Cincinnati back to back, or, you know, if that 10 and two includes losses to Florida state and Wisconsin, like 
that's an incredibly tense tenant too. Um, this Notre Dame will be on edge. Like I don't, I don't think it's going to work out that way. I think Notre Dame will will get through Saturday or Sunday night just fine, um, and then you know split Cincinnati and Wisconsin. And the, the, at that point, you're on your way. But you're right. Like if the flip side of that, if they get Florida State and then they get Wisconsin, when Cincinnati comes here, I mean, you could be talking about a top five game, not a top ten game, um, which would be wild. Um, you know what a great environment that could be. Uh, so it's a, you know, but Sunday night, we, we will learn a ton. I think Brian Kelly will probably learn a ton as well. Um, so I don't know what, why don't we sort of get out of here on, on predictions? Give me, give me what happens in a final score uh, on Sunday night. Hmm. I'll take Notre Dame 31, 17. Um, I think they fall behind early seven, nothing, 10, nothing, something like that. Um, and they slowly just suck the life out of that building. I just think they run the ball extremely well. They make a, one or two big plays in the pass game. And uh, I, actually, I do think that defense steps up as, as, as much as I just kind of questioned a little bit about them coming in. Um, I think regardless of who's – like Florida State has not announced a quarterback as of press time, right? I haven't seen anything. I have not either, okay, yeah. So whoever that is um, – which is also another storyline we should get to. But um, I, I think the defense will, will ultimately just have their way with that offensive line and, and just simply overpower uh, Florida State. I, I am sort of with you in sort of the flow of the game. I In my preview tomorrow, I've, I have Notre Dame winning 28-17. So just, just a field goal less than what you've got, but the same score for Florida State. And I I don't know, I just – I cannot get Louisville out of out – of, off my brain um, in terms of that flow of the game. And I think Florida State has more material than Louisville. Uh, I don't think Louisville had one good quarterback. Florida State might have two. So it, um, I could see Notre Dame being pressed a little bit. I don't think that they'll be pressed to the point where anyone will come away necessarily all that concerned, but I think it will be a, a team that will, you know, it's kind of like what we've been talking about on this podcast. It's a team that's going to grow a lot as the season goes on. It's going to need to. Um, and I think you're going to see some good and some bad on Sunday night. But um, ultimately, it's like if Notre Dame gets out of Tallahassee, fine. They should crush Toledo. Purdue should not be any sort of great shakes. And then you get into a top 10 game against Wisconsin at, in Chicago at the end of the month. And at that point, that's sort of when you can kind of get ahead of the game uh, in terms of playoff positioning. But I think I mean I think we're in for a good entertainment product on Sunday night. Um, you know, maybe maybe more so than the other games that you and I will be watching uh, in person this weekend: Vanderbilt, East Tennessee State, and Ohio State, Minnesota. I, I was just googling to see who Vanderbilt played. Hey, I'm also doing Michigan. <laughs> I've got three games in three days. I got Michigan State, Northwestern uh, Friday night, and then I'm driving to Iowa for uh, Indiana, Iowa on Saturday, and then I'm driving home for. Uh, so my, my, po- my point holds uh, that <laughs> Florida State Notre Dame will be the most entertaining of all the games that we will have witnessed either on television or in person this weekend. And uh, speaking of, the Shamrock will return with our regular uh, scheduled programming post game. Uh, it's a night game. That means Matt and I will be recording roughly at 1.30 in the morning. Um, me from a micro tell or quality in and suites somewhere in Tallahassee. Might might uh, might be worse than where you're recording from right now. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. It could be a, there. I don't know if I'm gonna have a monorail going past me for various <laughs> gates at Dallas Fort Worth Airport. But uh, so that Shamrock will be up Sunday morning for your listening pleasure. Hopefully, it won't need to be a therapy session after the game. But uh, that will be our regular flow throughout the season. We'll record our preview podcast Thursdays, and that will come up. 
and then Saturday after the game for our recap. So I don't, yeah, Matt, anything else you want to touch on before uh, we put a bow on this and I hop on the tram to go to Terminal D? No, safe, safe travels. Your itinerary somehow is a lot crazier than mine, even though you're going to one less game than I am. <laughs> I was surprised when I woke up this morning and realized that on Sunday I fly from Nashville to Miami and then from Miami to Tallahassee. So I'm going the wrong direction multiple times this weekend. <laughs> Good luck with Good that. Times. I only had to take one flight. I'm driving the rest of the way, and hopefully I'll just be on my couch Sunday night ready to go and watch and then record with you again. Enjoy. All right. Well, that's it for this episode of The Shamrock. Thanks again for Brady Quinn for hopping on the show. Uh, thanks for Matt for being flexible with my weird travel schedule. And we will talk to you again very late Sunday night, but most likely you'll be listening to that uh, Monday morning when you wake up on Labor Day. So thanks again for being with us on the latest episode of The Shamrock. Shamrock.